Greetings and solidarity, everyone. This is Rob recording from inside the bunker. Uh, before we get to our very special episode, uh, the one celebrating our year anniversary, I wanted to give you all a bit of background. Some of you may not have been around in 2015 16, um, but Eugene Young's campaign for mayor was absolutely unprecedented. Uh, while Przicki used every weapon in his arsenal, including mass party affiliation changes in affluent neighborhoods, the managerial and administrative prowess of Buccini Pollen Group, his own funds via loans to his campaign, and the leverage to keep the primary field large, we still came very, very close. I say we because Eugene would say later at the network kickoff, it isn't about one person or two people. Uh, Eugene and Drew were on the uh, Not Me Us thing uh, well before uh, even Bernard. So anyway... This uh, began the puberty of a real human movement. And while there are still growing pains and awkwardness, uh, maturation in this movement is uh, slowly but surely becoming clear. Eugene is my friend and my brother in this work, and I was thrilled that he took the time out with me to mark this achievement. Uh, this episode you're about to hear is roughly two hours. Eugene, Carl, Nurse Susan, and I spoke privately near, nearly two hours after that. In that private conversation, Eugene read a passage from C.L.R. James's classic history of the Haitian Revolution, The Black Jacobins. The mics were off, um, so I wanted to share that with you now uh, because I think it provides uh, a lot of insight into uh, where we're going next and, and sort of what the thought process is going to be. In this passage... James is making an important critique of Troussant L'Ouverture, who, while he won many victories, could not finalize the revolution. Final victory was achieved by his lieutenant, Jean-Jacques Dessalines. Dessalines, not Toussaint, became the first ruler of an independent Haiti. But, too confident in his own powers, he was making one dreadful mistake. Not with Bonaparte, nor with the French government. In nothing does his genius stand out so much as in refusing to trust the liberties of the blacks to the promises of French or British imperialism. His error was his neglect of his own people. They did not understand what he was doing or where he was going. He took no trouble to explain. It was dangerous to explain, but still more dangerous not to explain. His temperament, close and self-contained, was one that kept his own counsel. Thus, the masses thought he had taken Spanish San Domingo to stop the slave traffic, not as a safeguard against the French. His silence confused them and did not deceive Bonaparte. Dessalines, his fearless lieutenant, had no such scruples. After the war with Rigaud, Dessalines told his soldiers, The war you have just won is a little war, but you have two more, bigger ones. One is against the Spaniards, who do not want to give up their land, and who have insulted your brave commander-in-chief. The other is against France, who will try to make you slaves as soon as she is finished with her enemies. We will win those wars. That was and still is the way to speak to the masses, and it is no accident that Dessalines and not Toussaint finally led the island to independence. Toussaint, shut up within himself, immersed in diplomacy, went his own torturous way overconfident that he had only to speak and the masses would follow. 
Hello, friends and comrades, haters, spies, saboteurs. <laughs> uh, we've reached a milestone. So you're in for a milestone show. It's, this is this will be our 52nd episode. So it's a weekly episode. So it's one year. Absolutely. This will be the one year uh, change. So I'm um, just delighted to have the uh, executive director of the Wilmington Metropolitan Urban League, yeah. the chairperson and founder of Network Delaware, and my friend and brother, Indeed. Eugene Young. Indeed. How you doing, man? I am. I'm fantastic. I'm. I'm thankful glad to be here i'm really excited as i like move like make sure i'm not knocking anything over with my legs yeah i know um, <laughs> believe me when when we first set up shop in the other bunker in, in the basement over in highlands we, were, we we knew like if i ever get eugene on here it's gonna be a big problem also big guy you guys had jackim muhammad in here he's a big guy right yeah he yeah. He, he was in here with his wife and yeah it was uh yeah he's sort a of big a, he's a big guy as well so yep. yeah good brother good yep. brother absolutely well, thankful, thankful to be here. Thankful, Carl, Rob. It's uh, it is uh, just a beautiful thing to be in, uh, in the bunker. Um, well, I'm glad you're coming in. You and and I've said this before to you, um, kind of offline, but like, uh, you know, it's really you can see the progression. You've been able to see the progression through week by week by week by week, and it's been like absolutely amazing. So I'm I'm thankful just to to be here and rock out with you guys. It's it's exciting. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. So we, we usually start at the beginning, but for you, we're going to start at the. We're going to start at now because I haven't really spoken to you since you've been back from Kenya. Yes. How was it, man? Was that your first time to Africa? First time to first time to Africa. I was in. Uh, I was in Nairobi. Um, it was interesting. So I had a uh, a friend of mine who's on the board of an organization called Shafco, and. Um, she asked if I would be interested in coming over to Nairobi um, to talk about, you know, learn more about the organization, what they're doing, um, try, you know, help strategize and ways to be helpful as they start planning out some things out and come June and July. And so I said, you know, hell yeah. So <laughs> I was there. So you went over there just to observe sort of so, their work so and stuff? We, we observed so a couple of things. One is um, just even provides like some, some sort of context. Um, so Nairobi, um, the, within Nairobi is a neighborhood, it's, it's well more than a neighborhood, it's a, it's a, a neighborhood called Kibera, right? And they title them, I, I, it's, it's a common way that they title them, they call them slums. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't use that, ter I don't like to use that terminology in describing, um, the people in the community there, but, um, we had, it's, one million people that live in all, like if you Google Kibera, like it is uh, w approximately one million people that live in these um, these homes. And it's like people like, I mean, even here sitting in here at the bunker, this would be a room of like three or four people, a house. This would be the, the where people would live, three to four people. Um, and um, within this, within this, uh, community, uh, this organization called Shafco, they provide a lot of work. It was actually started by Kennedy Odede. Um, Kennedy was born and raised in Kibera. He actually, uh, received a, uh, scholarship. He came over here, went to Wesleyan, goes to Wesleyan, go, and then decides to go back to Kibera where he's born and raised. Um, and work on creating this nonprofit to help the people of Kibera. And it started, it was interesting. He said, you know, I started out saying like, I want going to the drug dealers because they were the ones, the, the, 
They were, the, you know, they're the power in in these communities. And he said, "Look, I want to do this. Can you guys give us leeway so we can we can create this here? We're not messing with you guys. We we just want this." So it started out as like a little room where people, you know, young people can congregate. Now the thing is like huge. So they have they provide almost like seventy thousand people with clean drinking water. Um, they have everything from schools to um, libraries, community centers. Um, they have healthcare, health clinics for the community. Um, one of the most amazing things I saw was the fact that they even have, um, they do a lot of issues like gender issues. So um, working with women who've been assaulted, uh, women who've been raped, because one of the issues is that in many, there's not um, like a police station in Kibera. And so there, where does a woman, a woman go to seek justice if some, she's been sexually assaulted by someone within her community? Um, and they help them go through the process and connect them with the police so that they're able to get justice. And so things like that are beautiful. And so the goal, so we did the tour, but then we all came together. It was about 10 to 15 of us. We all came together afterwards and started helping, like working on like a strategic plan for some of ways that could be helpful, um, ways to get more people involved and engaged on a larger scale. So you had some amazing people. You had people from foundations. You had um, the former finance minister of Nigeria. Um, like there was some just amazing, um, just some amazing people there. And I'm, I'm just thankful for the opportunity. I've, ne I've never, it was just a beautiful experience that I'm just, I'm just thankful to have I've been a part of. That sounds, uh, sounds profound. <laughs> you know, I, cause I, I, I've only been to Africa once too, within the Western Cape of South Africa. Mm. And, um, you know, they're, and, you know, they're names for everything, you know, in, in Brazil, they'll call them favelas. Yeah, it's favelas it's in same, Brazil, same absolutely, thing. yes, yes, uh, yes. You know, in, in South Africa, it's still sort of townships. Yes. So, you know, outside of the city or on your way from town to town, mm -hmm. you know, there'll be these other large towns. But yes. as you said, it's it's more like one room sort of rows with like corrugated uh, like metal yeah. roofs. Yes. Take off and on. Yes. Kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. So yes. I'm, I'm kind of familiar with that setup. Yes. And in South Africa, this, it was uh, one of the, in, within context, because it was w one of the countries that people could at least live in, in relative safety. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of, uh, of folks from from Zimbabwe, mm -hmm. from uh, Namibia, mm. and, I, and down there, because it was at least that, that there was some services. But sure. again, all of these places were, you know... It was hard to get clean drinking water. Indeed, indeed. They're not they're not really safe all indeed, the time because there's no, as you said, you know, there there are law enforcement, but it's not there really. So and, yeah, you know, it's 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 tough. Yeah, I, I, one of the things that was it was interesting, um, like whether it was like the, the things that we take for granted, just the the clean water, um, sewage, you know, trash, like these things that we take so much for granted. And then, um, and and for this community many of the individuals that come here are coming from like rural areas where they're looking for jobs looking for opportunity um so on and so forth and so um and and then on top of that it, it you can even when you're looking at this community you can see within a distance like the the i mean there's like a beautiful neighborhood right next to it and i was just and, and it's and it's like and you can just see this dichotomy you know between between the two and so um, it's a lot of lessons to be taken back. Um, it inspired me, 
Um, you know, I reached out to Drew like when I got back and I had all these like ideas and I was like, hey, we got to talk about some things. You know, I was even texting him. I was doing I was over there and I was reading a bunch of books. I was telling you about some of the books that I read. I've been reading, but like I was even texting them pages from the book, uh, a couple of the books I'm reading. I'm like, we need to start focusing in on this, you know. So I'm just, you know, it was it was really good and uh, helping to provide me with like insight and um, understanding. So on on some of the issues that we're working on here with the within the Herb League and uh, Network Delaware and just within the community as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so now we'll get to the beginning. All right, that's cool. because because <laughs> you're you're. Uh, you know, you're one, as they say in England when they sing, you're one of our own. So you're <laughs> Wilmington, you're one of our own. Um, indeed, indeed. So, and also, we we went to the same high school, so you can we can talk about. Uh, you're a Spartan too. Yeah, uh, that's right. You are a Spartan. That's right. Indeed, that's right. brother. Indeed. So indeed. we talk about how you made it over there, your basketball prowess. Yeah. All of it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're you're Wilmington's own, right? Yes, I am. Um, I'm born and raised here. Like uh, I think uh, it's it's interesting. So I just got back from speaking at. Um, the there's a leap they call it leap conference over at uh, the Longshoremen's Hall over on South Bridge Wilmington uh, today, and it's a it's basically a gathering of all the the majority of the unions um, in our our state coming together, um, helping people from the community get jobs and everything, um, giving them the information that they need in order to move forward, and they do a wonderful job in particular like local 199, local 55, ILA like these. Um, this is an opportunity for a lot of people from our community to get jobs and so on and so forth. So I actually was just there and I'm kind of, and the reason why I bring that up full circles, I'm for what I'm about to say now, you know, um, Wilmington is like, when I say I'm, uh, from Wilmington, like I really mean it. Like, um, my great grandparents, um, they came here, uh, in the early 1900s. So my great grandfather who was originally from South Carolina, um, came up with my great grandmother. They got married and lived on Twelfth and Orange in 1924. Um, we still have their marriage. Uh, we have their marriage certificate, um, and they lived over Eleventh Street Bridge um, and uh, had um, multiple, you know, children and grandchildren, so on and so forth. So, like, my roots go way back here in the city. I grew up on uh, on the East Side area of Wilmington on East Fifth Street. Uh, to be exact, and uh, from there it was a a beautiful. It is still a beautiful neighborhood, but uh, I really uh, cherish those moments of of living on the east side um, because it allowed me to gain a lot of perspective. Maybe things I did not realize then, but I did later. So I lived there for I would say the majority of my life till I was around fourteen. My parents then moved to North Wilmington um, when I was fourteen, but then by the time I was seventeen, I was in college. So um, so I did. So I was probably in my freshman year somewhere in my freshman year of high school um i moved from um the east side over to north wilmington it was interesting because you don't really find too many kids living in the the city that are going to like some of these schools like st mark's or um sally's and it was interesting because i remember my first day of school i, I remember this woman her name uh, she's a woman now <clears throat> she was a friend her name was brandy she said Eugene, what the hell are you doing wearing the suit? You got a job? You going to a job? And I was like, because you have to wear a coat and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know how it is. Yeah, I do. It's just like, what job do you have? We're going to school. And I was like, no, I'm actually, this is my uniform. I have to wear a coat. And like, it was just weird. But uh, but it was it was interesting. Like, my high school experience was, um, it was interesting. You know, I, I was never a really good student. Um, full transparency. I was never really good students. It was always hard for me to learn. 
um, high school and college, I started to understand like how I learned a little bit better towards the end, but um, I always struggled. I always struggled. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't a, I, I was kind of a bad student too. <laughs> I don't know if I, I, I didn't know, I didn't really apply myself. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, my experience at St. Mark's was probably different because uh, you know, I, I had a more privileged thing and yeah. sort of I kind of skated through sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. That's how it went. Um, I did the same thing at University of Delaware too. Yeah. Kind of, I, I feel like I could, I mean, I did get a lot out of it. Yeah. You know, I, f I do feel like it was a great experience all, all told, but yeah. I think from an academic standpoint, I could have gotten a lot more out of it. Yeah. We'll just put it yeah. that way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's, and that happens to a lot of us, right? Um, I, I think, you know, <laughs> I tell the story. So for me, I didn't really get it. I didn't realize um, that like what you do freshman year actually matters come senior year and junior year. And like, um, and I struggled in school. And I remember th there was like one moment that like a, a glaring moment that really changed changed my view on like my high school experience. I remember. And you know this. You go to St. Mark's and like every year, every year, like University of Delaware comes in and like they probably pull everybody into like the auditorium or whatever and say, because this is like 13th grade for St. Mark's students. And they say, hey, you know, um, you in order because in my head, I was thinking like, look, I'm just going to go to. I'm going to go to Delaware and I'm going to do the, you know, I'm going to live the, the St. Mark's dream. You go to St. Mark's, you go to Delaware, you know, like that's like, it's very much. I've lived know, that dream. You it, live that dream. You see, yeah. it's, it's the dream. It's the, you go to St. Mark's, you go to Delaware. It's, and I was, I was seriously was, that was where I, what I wanted to do. Um, and I was, I wasn't like any amazing basketball player. I was, I wasn't even like, I wouldn't even consider myself good at the moment, but it was like my sophomore year. And I remember um, and in my sophomore year, and I remember the because they wanted people to start preparing as they move forward. And I remember this admissions woman saying, "Well, in order to get into the University of Delaware, our average GPA is a three point four, and our average SAT is whatever it was at the time." And I swear, my jaw like dropped. I was like, "Oh man, there's no way in hell I have a three point four." And so from that moment, I was like, all right, basketball, you're going to have to be my ticket. <laughs> and so, and so I, I focused a lot on just like just honing in on basketball, um, recognizing like that was my opportunity to um, I wasn't the greatest of students. But um, if I could be pretty good in basketball, I could give myself an opportunity to get maybe a scholarship to college, maybe a college I may want to. Um, worst case, I was like, look, I'm going to go to Dell Tech. So. Um, so I ended up getting a couple offers in college. I did everything from, uh, I got recruited by like West Point. I actually toured West Point. And, and <laughs> even, actually, like I, whenever anybody says something that provocative, I look back. <laughs> even even Carl was like, whoa. Whoa. Yeah, like Carl put his head down. Like, he was like, you did what? Like, I could see you in that gray. That yeah, gray I, I toured. So I, it's funny. So my, um, it's interesting. Like, so my father um, and all his siblings, they were all in, because my father's from Chester, Pennsylvania. And so it was like something like when you turn 18, you got to do something. You got to get up. You got to go. You just got to get the hell out of this house. Like that was like the 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 undergirding of everything. You know, my right. father was raised. That's, that's the that's like a deadline. That's the deadline. Yeah, my yeah, my yeah. father was raised with his, um, my aunts uh, raised my father. He was actually, um, his father wasn't really in his life till he was in the 20s, his 20s. My father, 
my grandfather was not in my father's life until my father reached like 26, 27. And um, my father's mother passed when he was like three or four. It's, yeah, very young. So my father was raised by his aunts. And so they said, look, when you turn 18. And so one of the common themes that you'll see in my, my father and many of his brothers, they all went into the service. Every single one of them. And so whether it was Army, Navy, I have Uncle Richard, Navy, my Uncle James, Army, like they all did something. My father went into the Air Force. And so the reason why I say that is um, when I actually was, uh, when we went up to West Point, my father was like, hey, man this is good. Like I remember my father pulled me over. He was like, Hey man, this is good. Like you, you need to do this. And I, uh, my father loved it. I liked it, but I didn't think I was ready for it at that time. Cause I was still 17 years old. And I was like, I don't know. And also there's a rule or some, there's like a regulation where, uh, some type of stipulation where once you go in, you have up until I believe your sophomore year to make a decision. And if you say no, that's fine. We wash our hands clean of one another. Everyone go their separate ways. But if you cross over into like your junior year and you say this isn't for me, now you owe us a quarter million dollars. Some, it's something like crazy yeah. like that. And yeah, so, I forget what it because I have a friend of mine who actually started there. Yeah. And I think, I don't even know if they did the two years. They might have done the one and yeah. run out uh, and then want, just went to Purdue. Yeah. Um, but he, he has some stories about it. You know, he didn't... Uh, yeah. yeah, he didn't really take to it. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and different things for different people, you know. So like, if for me, I didn't, I just realized for for me that it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't the thing for me. So, um, and I realized my call to service may be something different. Um, but I have great deal of respect. I honestly like if it were probably, um, a year later in my life, or as a, a year if I were a year older, I probably actually would have done it. Um, but. I think that year, me being a little bit 17, like I even went up there with like hair on my face, like, you know, like I wasn't ready um, for it. Um, but, you know, I, I think I made um, the choice for me was like UMBC was like, uh, and that's University of Maryland, Baltimore County. That, that was like the choice for me. And that was a beautiful experience and I wouldn't change for anything. But um, I know a lot of people who've gone to West Point. Westmore, who's a really good guy. Like there's some really great people that have done it. Um, going out and do some amazing things. So, absolutely. So UMBC, did you now? Did you live on campus and do the whole the whole deal? Down absolutely. There? So I lived on campus. So I got I was fortunate. I got a I got a scholarship to go to UMBC. Um, and interesting even story about me getting a scholarship. So I um my I remember when so I was I did a bunch of college tours, college tours of like different schools, and so um. I went to, this is even before West Point, I went to a school at the beginning of my senior year called Queens College in Queens, New York. And I went up there and I I thought it was cool. It was in New York City. And um, and all the whole way around, it was okay, the whole tour. And then the college coach said, and I asked the question, like, where do the players live? And the coach said, they have their own apartments. And I was like, I'm coming here. And I was like, and I was like, like yes. Yes. Um, I am signing. So I remember, I remember coming uh, on the ride back. I remember my father and I, um, I remember my father and I talking about it. And I'm like, Dad, I'm signing to this school. 
this is where I'm going to school. This is before, this is the first school that really offered me a scholarship, Division II school, and I was like, I'm going. And my father was had like, you been to other schools and they hadn't offered you a full scholarship? Like, they, was, I had, this, this is the, the first. first. This is the first everything I go, <laughs> and they offered me a scholarship, and they said I'm going to have my own apartment. So I was just like, I'm doing it. I'm doing this. <laughs> and so I remember I went back and I'm uh, I'm talking to my mom because this is like end of summer, September. This is like going into my senior year okay so you hadn't quite started your senior year. you hadn't started my senior year and i remember talking to my mother and my mother laid the hammer down my mother's like you are not going to that school and i was like what do you mean i'm not going i'm going and and it was to the point i didn't talk to my mom for like a week or so and because here's the thing my birthday is in october so legally i was i was 16 at the time just turning 17 in october as a senior in high school um i wouldn't turn 18 till You'd already be up. There. Yeah, yeah, I would already be in college. I'm the, I'm the same way. My birthday's in September, and I was—I don't even think they allow this anymore when yeah. you go to school. They actually make you go the following year. But yeah. When, when we started, I—I I moved into the University of Delaware when I was still 17. Absolutely. And that September, I turned 18. Absolutely. And so what happened with me was I go in and I—I—I uh, I, I, I go to my mom and I'm like, I'm signing here, and she pulled one over me. She said, Look, I am. You can't sign anything without me because you're too young. Oh, she pulled that. Move. She pulled it on me, brother. She pulled it on me, and my dad was in agreement with her, but he didn't really stress it. I feel like my my parents and they said this to me later. My dad said this to me later. He said, "I knew that if I stressed it, you would just really win against me. If I, your mother did it, you would, you know." Now, was her? Were their concerns just like it was? You know. It's too much for like for seventeen going and living. I I don't know what uh, what neighborhood it's in, but you know going to Queens and like yeah. like I, I, were they just like this is going to be too much for you? I think I think they were thinking it's probably going to be too much. I think they also believe that it was like why why not just wait it out a little bit longer and see like what else comes. And um, I I said uh, I, I I argued with my mother and she said, look, this is the, and we cut the deal and she said. Let's wait till the end of your season, end of your school year, um, and let's make a decision then. If you still want to go to Queens, fine, go to Queens. And I, we, I hated her advice. She said she would sign off if I did this. So I said, fine, we'll wait till the end of the year. End of the year comes, I start getting like recruited by some larger, some, you know, this was Division II school. I got recruited by some Division I schools like um, Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. That's also when West Point, um, they were always kind of involved. Bucknell was involved. Um, and so, it, the, the, and I'm not saying it's any slight of Queens, but like the, the standard of basketball right. um, and academics kind of got higher. Yeah. Um, and so, I didn't, so then Queens become like, became like an afterthought. Um, and I ended up signing with UMBC and I remember like my mother saying, aren't you glad that I, you know, and I have to give her credit. Yeah. 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 She has to be like, yeah, yeah, fine. yeah. You I'm fine. Me. You got me. You got me. So, uh, UMBC it was, and, uh, I went there. I had a beautiful time. I, 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 I feel like my UMBC experience, um, you know, while I played basketball, I did play basketball, go to school, but I, I had forged and the same thing with high school. I had some amazing high school um, teammates, 
guys I know from high school that, you know, I, I see them around every now and then, but I love them to death, like really, really good guys. And it's the same thing with high um, excuse me, with college. I think college, you, you, the bonds are a little bit stronger because you're with them every single day. You know, even like I'm with my college teammates. I live in the same dorm as them. Um, with you know, and so yeah. you form these like bonds. But you're going to meals together. You're going to meals together. Yeah. You're traveling together. You know, all that kind of stuff. And so um, I went to UMBC. I double majored information systems and sociology, um, and then uh, had a had a beautiful experience. Got some greatest mentors of my life. The president of the university is one of my mentors to this day. Love him to death. Um, he, he's he actually says some things that end up really shaping my life. Um, and when I was like 22, when I was about to graduate, like he um, pulled me aside. I remember going into a meeting with him and his name is Freeman Rabowski. Like I would say, like someone please look look him up. Like he is. Um, he is has, he still the president of UNBC? He's still the president of UNBC. He has a Polish uh, last name, but he's a black man. Um, I was wondering because you said Freeman Rabowski. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay. So it's, like, he's an right. interesting story. So he is from Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. Um, he is. Uh, he and Cory Booker, they two hardest working men I've ever like been next to. Like they are just relentless. And I remember um working i remember going into dr rabowski's office once and um i i was nervous i was like look doc i'm 21 22 years old um at the time i think i was like 22 and i was like look i'm i'm graduating i have this these two degrees i don't know what the hell i'm going to do i'm nervous i can't get a job you know i'm not gonna be able to get a job and if you can't get a job you can't get a girl like you like all these you know it's it's, it's ruined everything it ruins everything right and so uh so he said you know he he gave me some advice and i use this advice anytime when i go to like a uh 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 speak at a graduation but i the three piece of advice he gave me were a you're only as good as your six closest friends um b you need to read at least two hours a day and c you need to um work out at least an hour a day when you turn 30. um it hasn't let me down yet (laughs) yeah yeah I, i i i yeah, the working out thing it gets it gets harder as you need to do it more. Indeed, indeed, my yeah. friend, indeed. So, so those things help me in um, in moving forward, and I I owe a great deal to them. And so I came back uh, to Wilmington, my my me and my two close friends who are brothers, um, Logan Herring, who's now the he's the head of uh, Kingswood, but Reach Riverside, the warehouse he runs that whole. Uh, shop he does an amazing job over there and his older brother uh shannon watson um he's about shannon's about 10 years older he's a little more than 10 years older i'm not trying to give his age <laughs> people are, but, i'm sure i'm sure some people are calculating calculating yeah business. how long is but he but but we we co-founded an organization together um called delaware elite to work with young people and that was really that was like the the eye-opener for me because um, we were doing this. We we thought that you know basketball changed our lives. So all we gotta do is coach kids, and they'll change theirs. Um, and then you realize like there's a whole lot of issues dealing with these young people. And I mean, we would see it. All. We had we had guys. I I just never. It just became so close to home. You had guys in the organization who had been sexually abused. Guys who had. I had a I had a young man who 
um, was shot and his mother was killed in front of him. And his mother was my my a friend of mine. Um, breaks my heart even thinking about it to this day. This was in 2010. I had um, guys who just academically were just being pushed through school. Um, I remember uh, I remember a young man. Um, this is when I really understood, like truly started understanding education was when I had a young man who was a B student, right? All through school. He go, he's at, um, I'm not going to say what middle school and all that stuff he was at. I'm not going to you know. Yeah. Yeah. You. Yeah. You got me. Yeah. So he's, he's pushed through school. He ends up going to Del Castle and Del Castle, his ninth grade year, he starts like failing, like just failing. Failing, failing. So he was doing the Votech route. Yeah, he went. Just, he went Votech, and Deltec has, and I mean, it's not Deltec. Um, Del Castle. They all these Votechs. They have standards. You know, you got to be on it. Um, and I remember um, going to meet with uh, a gentleman, Coach Edge, Coach Mike Edge, who was his guidance counselor at the time. And um, he, I'll never forget. He said, uh, "I went to check in on him, and we." He he said, look, he just can't keep up. He's a quiet kid, but he just can't keep up with these classes. And I asked, I had permission from his family to like advocate on his behalf. And I was like, you know, can we, has, has he ever had an IEP? Has he ever been tested for, you know, things of that nature? Come to find out this kid was basically just being pushed through school because he was a, he was a quiet young man. He was well-mannered the whole nine, but he was being pushed through school. I'm, I find out he's reading at a fourth grade level, math at a third. And, um, there and this take and this is like all all he's almost done his freshman year um and so like i worked to make sure he was in summer school i actually flew up here we we had to go on a tournament to memphis um with the organization so we drove a 15 passenger van with a bunch of kids down to memphis i jumped on a plane flew back up uh to philadelphia um and hopped in a car picked him up that same morning took him and enrolled him in summer school um, just so to make sure that he was enrolled, right, in summer school. Um, because like he, I don't, he didn't have the supports that he needed. Um, but but things like this just open you up, and so that's what kind of led me into saying like, there's more to this. Like, you know, there's what's what's the policies around this? And you start, what's why are these children in this situation? Why are these things going the way they are? And that kind of led me into like working in the legislature and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I kind of I find that myself is like. When you start doing, like I was always you know, some followed politics, and yeah. Tried to get involved, but not until you start working like in a direct way, yeah, with people and organizations. Do you you do you even start to learn what the problem is? Absolutely. Like you're out there doing whatever you're, you know, whatever you know, reach Riverside or at the Absolutely. Urban League or, or the Absolutely. network. But then you're like, okay, well, we thought we were going to have to do these things. But it's becoming clearer and clearer. We had to do another set of things. Absolutely, because we had no idea this stuff was going on like this. You got that right, and and it's uh, it becomes like eye opening, and you know, it's one of those things where you think you know, but you really don't have an idea until you really you witness it, you see it, you feel it, um, you you feel you feel what it's like to lose a you know when when we lost our friend Dawn Dollard um, to to gun violence. Like when it's interesting, she. And her son, they came to our program. He was playing football, but we were having practice, so they came just to say, "Hey." Then, like two hours later, we get a call. Like there was a, there was, you know, he he had been shot. We need to rush to the to the hospital. And we ran to the hospital, and we find out like our friends dead within like a three hour time span. Like it's just, and so when you see that, and you see the ramifications of like 
mental health, the need for him to get that help afterwards, the 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 care needed around that, the that lives that it impacts, you know. And then we've had guys in our program that decided that picking up guns was the right thing to do. So you realize like we you see both sides of it and, and it and it really shapes your it really shapes the way you look at um problems and solving them um and bringing people together and like the need um need for more people to have like an understanding of yeah i mean i i this is sort of two, two different questions yeah please but like i i got in a internet argument the other day with yeah. a, you know an unknown moron yeah but the, the 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 argument was began because the person was basically talking about homelessness and addiction in this yeah. in downtowns so, yeah and how you know it's scary it's a yeah. nuisance it's this and that yeah and they said you know these people have a history of violence and yeah. so finally i just said no wait number one just as a matter of fact yeah there's no proof that anyone who has any mental illness or is homeless or whatever is any more violent than anybody else everybody Indeed. That, that's just a fact Indeed. Um, but the biggest thing is if you look at if you're if, if if you're describing this situation as like an inconvenience yeah or a nuisance yeah like you would if it was raining or if there was traffic yeah and you don't look at it as human beings and there's a pro there's actually pro you're never the, the you're not going to solve the problem by looking at it like an awkward nuisance yeah because they're human beings and we have to figure out a way um to address it and unless you're out there yeah you don't you don't see it you and know? yeah 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 you're right and i i think you know it, so so one of the things I, I oftentimes think about is this idea that, you know, about like brotherhood and sisterhood, right? So like we oftentimes say like, Rob, my brother, it's good to see you, you know? Um, but I think we need to really like um, boil down that word and, and what it really means. Because when we talk about brotherhood, it means if we're brothers, then that means your child or your your son or your daughter is like my niece or nephew, right? It means that your sibling is my sibling, right? Um, it also means your mother or your father, one of them, uh, if we're stepbrothers, is my father or my mother, right? And so it connects us in a way. And I think we need to start looking at that from the standpoint of like we are, we're very much connected in this. And 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 so the 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 person who may be um, addicted to opioids or maybe addicted to alcohol you know that could essentially be your brother that could be i have people in my family that you know my, both of my grandfathers were both alcoholics you know so like i i there's there's something in me that really is able to say like look i i can't judge i don't i'm not here to judge i'm here to work with because this is this could this is like it were my own cousin or my own you know yeah we actually we one of the times we were talking over the last year i remember it came up yeah. uh, but if you listen to cornell west absolutely no nobody explains the concept that you're talking about better than he does absolutely because and people don't want to uh, a lot of politics is getting people to forget this yeah. Uh, or they don't want to take responsibility or, you know, they take a sort of a libertarian attitude of personal responsibility. It doesn't really matter what you think yeah. because the fact of the matter is yeah. we're all neighbors, we're all brothers. And sisters. Absolutely. So Absolutely. You, you cannot accept it if you want, but yeah. you're just, you're just not, you're not going to solve the problem Indeed. because, um, 
you know, we're all here and doing this. Absolutely. So you can ignore it if you want to. Yeah. It doesn't change the fact that we're all in it together. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. And we pay for it whether we like it or not, you know? Yeah. And, 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 you know, because even like the, the libertarian, you know, brother or sister. <laughs> we'll as, say, as, you know, as, as uh, Cornell West would say, they're my brothers they, and sisters absolutely, too. They're absolutely. wrong. I disagree with I, them on a lot of things. We, absolutely. We all have the right to be wrong, right? Yeah. Um, and so, um, so even as as many of them would you know be concerned or care about issues with the explosion of our our criminal uh, explosion of costs in our criminal justice system, um, and all these different you know all these different areas you know we pay for stepping away and we uh, stepping away from issues and not addressing them whether we like it or not. And, you know, we're all, and I tell people all the time, we're all connected. You know, we rise or we want to fall together. And yeah, so I, I say the same thing. The cost of, I'll make, a, I'll make a very explicit example. Yeah. The cost of the Wilmington Police Department mm -hmm. keeping certain people sequestered in certain neighborhoods mm -hmm. um, in a violent way yeah. um, is a huge cost. Yeah. And whether you, whether it's happening in your neighborhood or not, it's a cost to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a cost to all of us. It's, it's absolutely. So it's not. It's not that we're not. You know. It's but 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 it also actually um, doesn't ameliorate the problem. It Indeed. exacerbates the problem. Indeed. Indeed. So, but I I want to talk specifically about sure. gun violence because I had a conversation about it too, and that's almost. Uh, you know, it's it's a yeah. it's a sticky one. But yeah. before we do that, I know you mentioned Cory Booker, and everybody uh, <laughs> sort of knows your your history, yeah. sort of with him. So, kind of, <clears throat> first of all, let me know like how you got into that, what sort of how that experience was, and also now that he's dropped out, if you can get him on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let me start. Um, let me start in in the beginning of your of your questions. Um, so. Uh, Remember when I was telling you how um, uh, Doctor um, Dr. Rabowski kind of changed my life because you know the things that the ideas he gave me. Let me also just finish on even Doctor Rabowski. I'm sorry for no, for no. Let me loop back in, and the, it'll, it'll all make sense. So complete the picture. Um, I'm going to complete complete the picture on Doctor Rabowski. Freeman Rabowski was born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, he goes. He's a really smart kid. As, as a child, he's really, really smart kid. He goes, um, is one day M Martin Luther King comes to his church. He's there with his uh, mom and his dad. And he tells a story like all oh, he does, he, he calls himself this. He says, look, I was just some pudgy kid in the back eating like M&Ms or something and um, doing math problems. He loved to do math problems, right? And so um, Martin Luther King comes and says, you know, it is time for everybody to get in this movement. And um, we are asking for you to have your children join us in this children's crusade. And he, like, his ears perk up. He didn't want anything to do with it before. But then that's when, like, hey, I, I'm in on this, right? Um, so he pushes his parents. They, his parents tell him no. He kind of calls them hypocrites. They end up thinking about it. And then they said, you can do it. So in 19, I think it's like 62, 63, um, he's like a 11, 12-year-old leading like 10-year-olds in this march. Bull Connor picks him up, spits in his face, and throws him into jail. He stays there for a couple nights, right? Um, 12 years old, right? Um, and he leaves there, goes and um, goes to Hampton University. He graduates, 
when he's like 17 years old from college, gets his PhD by the time he's in like his mid-20s, early 20s, something phenomenal like that. Um, and he runs UMBC. So going back to one of the things that uh, he said was, you know, you need to be reading at least two hours a day. Surround yourself with amazing people. And excuse me, um, he said, uh, and so when we were working on this nonprofit, um, I'm reading uh, all the time. I'm coming up with ideas and all, I'm trying to think of ideas that we can help the young guys. So it's interesting. So just kind of full circle how I end up meeting Cory Booker. I create this plan at, it's in like 2000 and like nine, 2010. I have this idea of getting some of the guys from our program and getting like some older teens to go and this, that's 10 years ago, Jesus. So, yeah. uh, so I get this idea. More to, math. Yeah, like I'm like, oh man. So I get this idea. So why don't we have the, um, the, um, the guys in our program, some of the older guys in the city paint the top of the roof's white. Um, reflect the sun back up so the houses don't absorb all the heat, right? So you save grandma on her electric bill. We give some of these brothers in the community something to do. It's a win-win for everybody, right? Um, and there's plenty of homes that, that could that could use this. I take this into the mayor at the time, uh, Mayor Baker. I, I met with like a couple, I, I, I emailed and reached out to a couple people from his senior staff and they're basically were like, Hell no, and so, so, uh, so I, 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 I didn't necessarily stop there. So I applied for the Clinton Global Initiative University. I, I sent the idea over to them, um, and that's you. You, it's a bunch of people that send their ideas. You have to be in school because I was going to Wilmington University at the time for my master's. Send it, send it over there, and I get um, selected to go to UC San Diego. I go to UC San Diego. Um, going back to Freeman Basket, I'm reading two hours a day. So I'm reading all the time, like reading all kinds of books. And um, I, uh, I, I end up um, running across Van Jones, right? And I meet Van Jones and um, I'm like, Van, I just read your book, The Green Collar Economy. I had no idea this guy was going to be here, right? And so... I just read your book, The Green Collar Economy, da 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 and I started spinning off these ideas and some of the things. I'm trying to do this program back in Delaware, you know, and yeah. he and I um, hit it off, and so he leaves. We He's he's holding a session, and it's interesting, so I, um, I'm i talking to him, and we just keep talking, and he said, uh, and he said, uh, why don't you walk me to my cab? And uh, we walk to his cab, and I'm still, like, spewing, like, da 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 and this is after he leaves the White House as the green jobs are. He just had left at this time. And he and I uh, hit it off, but it's mainly me talking. Then when we get out there to get his cab, and this is like before Uber, Lyft, and all that stuff. So his cab left with the wrong person. So they were like, well, Van, you're going to have to wait 40 minutes for the next cab to be there. If this was like today, like it would have been like, all right, next Uber, five minutes, right? Or something like that. So he and I start talking about this idea he has called Rebuild the Dream. So talking about all these different, you know, ideas. He pulls out his laptop. What do you think about this? You know, and so we hit it off. And I said to Van at the time, I said, you know, there's there's two guys who I really, two guys I really admire. I don't want to be either one of them, but I admire what they do and and, and the different lanes that they've chosen. I said, one is you, the other is Cory Booker. And he said, um, I have a mutual friend of Cory Booker, but I'm not worried about him right now. I'm worried about you. 
And I was like, shit, I'll take that, right? And so, um, and so he and I stay in contact. Um, he would invite me to different things, um, the launch of Rebuild the Dream in New York, and and different things going on. And we would talk about stuff. Like I would ask him for advice, and um, the one of the people he introduced me to, who she's been like a saint uh, to me. She, uh, she and I were talking over lunch one day. And she said, you know, her name was Cynthia. She said, hey, um, what do you think about um, uh, working up uh, for Cory Booker? And I said, what? I was like, send my information. She was like, send, you know, send me your information and everything. And I'm like, all right. So I sent it up and I went up there in uh, 2000, started working for him. And my first, as a matter of fact, I'll tell you, my first day was like June 5th, 2013. That was actually the the funeral of Senator Frank Lautenberg, um, who had just who had just passed away, and then that opened the Senate seat um, for a special election. And I was my very first day was um, his funeral, and I believe I'm almost sure it's June fifth, two thousand thirteen. So I worked with him. Um, I was with him almost every day of my life for about two years. So I I um, have a great deal of love and affection, like a brotherly love for this guy. Like he's he's you know like I can't. I mean, it's just what it is. Like, I, I I love this guy to death, you know, being with him for so long and a and, uh, great deal of respect and a great deal of respect for what he's done for me, just um, helping me, like, even, you know, a lot of things that I've learned from just working with him um, is is has had a major part in the work with Network Delaware, with the Urban League, and probably with some of the things I'll learn forward in, in moving into the future. Yeah, he stri- I mean, he strikes me as a very... Um like earnest genuine guy yeah he like i don't uh, there's a there's there's still you know his personality and again i, I w- wouldn't even begin to say like i know somebody but yeah. when, when somebody's is in the uh in the limelight in politics like that you know you see them speak and you see the work they do absolutely you know and I, yeah he seems like a pretty pretty reasonable dude yeah he um he's one of the hardest workers i've ever met um he will all he, he will he would tell you if you were sitting here right now um you know, his personal life has suffered because of how much he's worked, you know, yeah. um, over the years. Um, he he's just I mean, he he wears he's he's he puts it all out there. And I, and I and and just seeing how hard he worked, seeing um, like I, it was interesting because also and I think here's also just providing context too, like um, Jersey is different from Delaware from a standpoint like Jersey and in particular like Newark, New Jersey. Um, Newark is like the home of Amiri Baraka, right? Uh, the revolutionary, you know, yeah, like I mean, they, they had it there. For they, real, they, for real. Yeah, they, yeah, he like you can't be the home of Amiri Baraka. Um, his son Ross Baraka is now um, the mayor of Newark, but you can't be the home of Amiri Baraka and not like bring it, right? And so, like Newark is one of the places. Like the politics there is is real. It's it's, it's slugfest. It is. Um, it's it's interesting. It's just a different dynamic he, than here in Delaware. Um, it's very. It could be in in Newark in particular. It could be very confrontational in a sense because people don't mind getting in your face about anything. Um, you see that in a lot of major cities. I tell people all the time, like you know, Newark is a city of over three hundred thousand people, and you would you there's so you can see your mayor or you can see your governor. And you may never see them again. You know, Jersey's a state of what, 10 million people? Um, so 
you can say things, you can do, you do and say things because you may not have a shot again. Here, I'm going to see you. I may see you today. I may see you in this very same place tomorrow, right? I may see you tonight. I may see you tonight at the local bar or at the local um, restaurant. So, like, you, you, so because we're so close and we, we, the way we interact with each other, especially the way we interact from a political perspective, is so much different. Um, and so seeing him navigate um, the, the politics there and seeing how hard he worked. I mean, oftentimes there's a lot of, especially in the progressive movement, people may not agree with, um, and I don't, and there's, let me be very clear, I don't agree with any person's, 100% any person's politics, like, you know, and policies. But uh, as as a man, like, I stand with him and I, I just, he's a really genuine good dude. Like, when he talks about love all the time, like, that's really who he is. Yeah. Like this is like it's not a it's not like a charade. Like yeah, I mean yeah. he lived in the neighborhood. He was you know always around doing stuff. He seems like I, my my take on his politics mm -hmm. just as a gen, just sort of as a general statement. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing a lot of thinking about this because, um, you know, this is a big Bernie bunker. Absolutely. And so the some of some folks um their chickens are coming home to roost. Yeah. For, for, for lack of a better term. So Indeed. there's a there's a there's a generation of and they're still fairly young, mm -hmm. uh, young sort of liberal Democrats mm -hmm. or maybe even progressive Democrats, mm -hmm. quote unquote, mm -hmm. that have a history of maybe they were like big ch corporate charter school people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they were mm -hmm. just like trying to solve a problem that, oh, now it works out. It's like that probably wasn't what you should have been doing. Yeah. yeah. Or, or because it's a cutthroat sort of operation, you know, you've taken money. You know, there's a lot of pharmaceutical headquarters in Jersey. Mm -hmm. So you've taken tons of pharmaceutical money because mm -hmm. that's just what you kind of did. Mm -hmm. um, and now I'm hoping that with this resurgence of uh, Bernie leading a movement of other politicians who are being elected and mm -hmm. running for office at every level, mm -hmm. um, people are going to have to start reckoning with that. Yeah. And yeah. being like, look, yes, you're right. I did it this way because I didn't think of another way we could do it i wouldn't do it now i have a critique of it or whatever but those were, people are going to have to come to terms with those kind of things and i think he's i think it's a process of I, I think it's um a process of yes coming to terms with certain things i also think it's our politics is is evolving quickly like it's just it's literally i mean Imagine having the conversations we have now ten years ago, right? Couldn't. You could, you couldn't, right? Like it, it wouldn't, it wasn't even thinkable, right? Um, so I think our, our politics are, are are very much evolving. Um, I think that, um, and I think our politicians are st are starting to kind of you know read you know read the tea leaves. Like I think is is starting starting to happen. Um, I think that as as time moves forward, a lot of I think. Across the country, you'll see different types of of leadership um, coming from, and different ways of connecting with people, raising money all around the country. I think ten years from now, fifteen years from now, it's going to be even totally different. It's going to be totally different than what it is now. But I think it'll be somewhat of the same. But I think it'll be a different form of. If yeah, that I mean, makes sense. yeah, because you're going to have. I mean, right now, you won't, Bernie leads a movement uh, of you know people who think like this, and he was for decades, you know, like on his own absolutely like making speeches about things in, in an empty room absolutely uh, absolutely everybody you know he was like the john kowalko of the house like yeah everybody just said, yeah yeah you know what i mean so yeah but now but but now we have young politicians who can say i 
I started the Bernie way and I'm yeah. on the Bernie program. So I haven't sold out to corporate, you know, interest, mm-hmm. whether it's taking corporate money or whether whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so yeah, there's a and so there's 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 a there's a cohort of democratic politicians that are sort of caught in the middle of that. Kamala Harris is another one. Yeah. Like I've, people say Kamala Harris is a cop. Well, yeah, because you can't Okay, I understand why people don't like that, but you can't joke about putting truant's parents in jail and then be like, and then be some sort of progressive crusader. Yeah, it yeah. just doesn't work. It doesn't. It doesn't work. And and I think so. There's I and I even think, I even think that you could even go um, deeper in a sense, right? And 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 hear me out even with this. So, um, I th- when I think about this, I oftentimes also think about the fact that so. Learning, seeing the landscape of of what it is right now, learning and knowing now so much more about the the racial wealth gap than I did before, um, it changes everything. It, it you you start to see where, for, for people to run, you know, even let's even look at it like this, right? Let's look at. It, let, I'm gonna use myself as an example. I ran um, when I ran in 2016. I may be wrong. I may be wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong on this. But I believe uh, Mike Przicki cut himself a fifty thousand dollar check. Yeah, I mean, I think he did. I think he did. And so, um, and so, we'll start the rumor. I don't yeah, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to start a rumor. No, I'll, I'll start the rumor. It's, it's the old. It's the old uh, Hunter S. Thompson and uh, Milwaukee. Oh, and I, I never said Muskie. I, I never said Muskie was taking Ibogaine in Milwaukee. I said there was a rumor in Milwaukee he was taking Ibogaine, and I know because I started the rumor. Well, uh, I. I I think I think he did. And the only reason why I bring that up, and this kind of even going into like our national politics where you have people just able to like, you know, billionaires being able to fund themselves and give three hundred or a hundred million dollars for ads and you know, at the drop I mean, cut a check for a hundred million dollars for ads and put you in in, in the game. Like in the crazy part is Michael Bloomberg was able to Cut a check large, uh, large enough so that he actually had pulled higher than Cory Booker, like within thirty days. You know, um, just off of like the 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 amount of ads and so on and so forth. But reason why I said it is because you know when you look at some of our communities, if you have people from many of these communities where you don't, and this this kind of goes into the nexus of Network Delaware too, which which kind of leads is this is kind of leading into to it, but. We have so many people from communities where they don't feel like they have the resources, the wherewithal, the knowledge, the information, and the connections to run, right? And I think a part of it is letting them know, like, you, we can train you, you can learn, you can, you know, you can be connected with people who can, but also you can, you can create a grassroots movement where you can have, you know, I tell people all the time, um, you know, I was just talking with a, a brother, a good brother from the community, um, about um, organizing efforts and he wants to get involved. I don't think he wants to run for office, but he wants to impact elections. And he said, you know, I'm going to start a community pack. And his thing was, I'm going to get, um, and I told him, get, get 100 people to give $100, you know, and 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 focus on what elections that, you know, you you believe in and so on and so forth. And he wants to start this community, community pack. But just being able that wasn't necessarily a thought of me being able to get in the game you know uh, a couple years ago and i feel like now people are able to see that and people are able to feel that well let me, let, let's let's get to that because my the story of uh, 
you, you might not have remembered it being our first meeting, but mm -hmm. it's funny to me because uh, I lived in the Triangle for about a year, mm -hmm. and I was friendly with uh, Chris Chalfont and her family. Yes, love Chris. And, yes, love. Chris. Shout out, shout out to Chris. Shout out to Chris Chalfont. Yeah, sure. I like that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So we, uh, I think. I don't know if we were over there for dinner or we... Uh, and Rick, her husband. Uh, yeah, uh, sorry, Rick. Sorry, Rick. Rick, Rick, <laughs> Rick Filex, see? I, I can picture his face. Just, I can see like, shrugging, like, just shrugging like I this. I know, I know. Sorry, Rick. Sorry, Rick. Um, <laughs> so she she told me... because uh, and, 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 you know, everybody knew that, it was, that the shit was going down yeah. because Dennis Williams was just not yeah. up to it. Yeah. He was... Uh, he, was uh, he lost lost the plot. Yeah. So people are starting to run and people are coming at this person's going to do this. And she said, you know, I just met a guy going door to door in a triangle yesterday because uh, you and Drew were out. Yeah. And she goes, that's uh, this little guy, Drew, and a very tall man <laughs> named Eugene Young. I said, okay, that sounds pretty good. She's like, it sounds like they're going to be like, that's going to be the community, like the insurgent candidate. So mm -hmm. just keep, her, keep an eye out. Well, within a week, that week yeah. or two, yeah. There was a community. We had a forty acres meeting at Kid Shalene's. Yes. So there's about thirty people in the back, and people are getting up to talk. So I go to the side to use the men's room, and you're. St and I see you stand out in the yeah, hall. I do so, remember that. So I look up, and I was like, <laughs> "You're Eugene Young." He's like, "I am." I was like, "You know how I know? Because Chris Chalfont told me that there was a very tall man running for mayor." And he said, "You're the guy," and so that's how we. That's how we met. Indeed, 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 indeed. So, I mean, I. My, you know, after the fact assessment of it mm -hmm. was that that run was incredibly important mm -hmm. and kicked off something yeah. that's still going. Absolutely. It's picked up speed. Absolutely. The likes of which really no one's ever seen before. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I know that you uh, and Drew are very sort of humble about it. Yeah. Um, but you you guys you guys started this just the two of you out of yeah. like sheer will yeah it's, and you motivated and, and and got a lot of people excited and a lot of those people are still very very involved indeed indeed and and there's i, I would say this there's um you know there have been a lot of people one one of the things that i appreciated about my camp about the the campaign um was we had an amazing group of individuals, like talented group of individuals from all over the city. I remember, you know, I wish I wish uh, I could have uh, taken a picture of like our debate team. Like our debate team, we would meet every Sunday, and I swear to you, like we would have um, Tom Noyce who's right down the street from here. We'd have. Uh, Cassandra Marshall would like chew me up every day. Like, um, like she just didn't play games. She still doesn't play games. I love Cassandra Marshall. Well, we can, we can get into that too. Yeah, she doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think here's my, I when, when Cassandra took over the city Democratic Party, yeah. I thought it was great. Yeah. Um, but I, my personal opinion now is that maybe everything has sort of like swooshed past her. Now that might be a, that might be a uh, that might be because of her politics. Mm -hmm. It might be because of her position mm -hmm. or the other things that she's doing. Like I don't know why it is. I don't necessarily even. I, I I'm not even making a judgment about it. It's judgment neutral. Yeah. It just seems to me that the exciting 
activism organizing type of politics mm. has accelerated so quickly and like she was at the front of it and now has been passed by a bunch of people. Yeah, so I would say this is this is just my And this, and that's just again, like I said, I'm not even I don't know whether I, I would even judge that or not. Yeah. Saying, you know, that it, it, it's one thing or the other. That's just how I look at it. Sure, sure. So I when I think of um <clears throat> the uh the party, um in particular the city, the city party, I feel like it's I look at it they may have it may have look or feel and uh, may look and feel as though it may have passed by but I I'd look at it as you're getting in a car that only goes 20 miles an hour even on its best day yeah premium gas everything in it it's ready to roll my father-in-law has a classic has a 29 nash yeah with all, it's all original parts yeah it goes it's top speeds like 28 miles 20 away. that's exactly <laughs> he it's, takes it out once and when the weather's nice just to go around the block yeah it only goes that's how fast it that's goes. all that's how fast it's gonna go and 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 i think that's also with the not just the city but the state as well because the apparatus and it's not as much of uh it's not as much going of the not as much of the individual but i think it's just the apparatus itself is just so because for years the city party was just used for like look we're just going to where we're going to cut money to to you know give to people and their friends help out on some campaigns a little bit and you know have people sit out in front of polling places and kind of chill and make some money kind of thing and so the just being able to just you're you're literally i think the job I guess what I'm saying is I think the job is so harder than most people think. Um, both, and I have and I have a great deal of respect now because I didn't before about the city and also the the county, but in particular the state um, Democratic Party because all you're doing is like all you're having is people shit at you every day like just like talk people shit like about- people like me yeah <laughs> like <laughs> i see but- how you're looking at me when you're saying no that. no i didn't come on bro i did not um but no no but like every every day when people feeling as though their district is not getting enough people feeling like and it's so and it's such a like a weird situation and it's so antiquated and i'm and it's just it's you you just have it takes so much and no matter what it happens you're still putting that one individual in that car that only goes 25 miles it's an a, hour. It's a fair point. Yeah. I guess the way I, the, it, that's perfectly fair. Yeah. The way I look at it, and, and yeah, luckily we are seeing a, an environment where maybe not explicitly, but at least implicitly, is open to um, to challenges. Yeah, we didn't see that before, which is good. Absolutely. But like you said before, the the issue here is that in p- politics, I see no way around. Uh, the confrontation of it. You were talking about Newark, how mm-hmm. it's different here than in Newark. So yeah, it's a yeah, bit more. Yeah, you know, and there's reasons for that, and I, I get that. The car only goes 25. It's mm-hmm. a smaller place. We see each other. People yeah. don't want to. They don't want to have a feud with somebody they're going to see every day. Absolutely. I mean, I don't. I like that stuff, but yeah. that's just me. <laughs> but, but, but the, the the issue with that is that unless we foster a environment of provocative pro, provocation and uh, and confrontation, unless it's an adversarial process within the party, mm-hmm. it'll stagnate and nothing will get done. Agree. And the problem I see mm-hmm. is, as you said, the traditional, traditionally, that they they run these shops to be the opposite of that. Yeah. 
and it doesn't do anybody any good. I think it's even baked in the cake. I think it's I think it's so baked in the cake that when you know when, I mean, you think about it, like we. It's so baked in the cake that I think who the new leadership that's coming in that has come in that it's almost you you're stuck with this and you're just trying to make out like you know what do I put what little can I put on it to kind of change this thing up because it's been it's been like this for so many years it's like a dinosaur and I think we have to and that's why I think the only way that we can really change this is is a is structural. B, I think it's getting uh, even more people in mass involved. Um, and I think that that can really help along in that process of like changing and, and really working. But I think it's going to take I personally think it will take years um, for a lot of this like type of this democratic institution, because it all comes down to money. It all comes down to like the, the status quo that even if I don't care who you put in there, if I were in there, it would, I would be fighting the same some of the same BS um, that has gone on for the last 20, 30 years. Um, so I think it's it's an ongoing it's an ongoing process. It really is. It really. But I agree. But I would say this: one of the things I, I I appreciate about you, and one of the things I greatly appreciate as well with Cassandra Marshall and Chris Chalfant is of this. She's she's of this kind of like lineage or or just this this mind frame as well as you know. I, I tell people all the time, like, I don't mind um, if you have an issue with me um, on my politics, on my policies or where I stand. Um, I, I give everybody five minutes. Pull me aside. Yeah. Tell me tell me what I'm what I'm doing is wrong. Tell me how I need to get better. Um, be be straight and forthright with me. Um, and I'll, I'm a big boy. You know, I, I can I can take it. I may I may disagree. And I may have my points to come back at you, but I will give anyone five minutes. And I think we have to open ourselves to this idea that, look, we disagree on a certain policy. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to it's OK to be confronted. I believe in you can come to me. I'm six, seven, 260 pounds. You can I can't hide. Well, I've never been good at hiding. Right. And so I, I just believe in this idea that if you if there's an issue whether it's policy, organization, anything like that, come and talk to me. Let's talk about it because I think that's the way you bridge through that communication. You can actually bridge things into really happening. And I think you're of that elk. You that well, we are. I think everyone already. <laughs> I think that's well known already. And, and I'll say so. Yeah. yeah, you, Chris, Sanders of that. Like you know, people who will will come to you and they will say what they feel. And they and not just say what they but they truly mean what the hell is coming out of their mouth. And that's what I appreciate. Yeah, and I guess that's the the, the issue I have, and then maybe we'll talk about something specific. But, sure. Um Yeah, I mean we have there's a wing of the party that is a corporate uh, you know, just flat out corporate wing. And it's not just policy, mm -hmm. you know, it's not just you know it's it's an entire mindset of austerity of you know corporate handouts relying on the private sector to polish up um nice things for nice people mm -hmm. and sequester other people where they are mm -hmm. um you know that's that needs to be confronted mm -hmm. and there's not like in, unless you can convince somebody that what i just described has a greater cost than doing it a different way mm -hmm. uh, it's it's just um you know, we had we talked to Nathan Robinson about the book he wrote, uh, mm -hmm. how, you know, socialism book he wrote, mm -hmm. and he said, you know, it just starts from seeing 
taking a lo- looking at the way things are and saying we can't can't have this yeah. this is not people living this way whether it's like i talked about the homeless or mentally ill or mm-hmm. just poverty mm-hmm. whatever we can't have this mm-hmm. uh we can't function like this and the way you're going about um hiding it really mm-hmm. is not good for anybody yeah and and that that I, that's the the part that i hope some of these folks like Przicki, I mean, and even the national level, you know, Coons and Carper are of the same. You know, uh, Carper is, mm-hmm. uh, Carney is, Pete Schwartzkopf is. So, like, uh, you know, we're, I, I know people don't like it. They don't like me. They don't like that I'm angry. They don't like that I curse. They don't like that I call people out. I don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. Because th- this, is the, this is the fight that we need to have. Mm-hmm. We have to have it. And I would I would say um, as well. I think you need. Um, I think a couple things. One is I think it's important for everyone to speak their truth, you know. Um, and one of the things it's interesting. One of the things um, that has been that I've really been thinking about, and I think it's almost become like a new year New Year's resolution, is that um, I'm going to even speak my truth even more like this, like as as moving forward. Um, just being, just being, cause I, I, there's a couple things that I've, I've realized over the years, like you don't, you don't get time back. Right. You know? And so, um, just be, you know, be as kind as you can, but also be as, as forthright and as open with people as you possibly can. So I think you doing that and speaking your truth is, is important. Um, I also believe that we have to, if we're going to make changes in, in this and and bring more people together and so on and so forth. I think we have one of the major parts that we have to recognize is that everyone has a different role in the army, right? There's certain people, there's there's uh, a sniper is different from an infantry man who's different from a guy who's on a battleship, who's different from a guy who's back at command center doing whatever, who's different from a woman who's, you know, doing something like or who's flying a a, a, a bomber, like every, in, in, even in war, everyone has a role. And I think there's a role for people to, um, to agitate, you know, I believe, I truly believe there's a role for people to agitate. I think there's a, I believe there's a role for people to work the inside game. I think about, you know, as we sit here and this, you know, Martin Luther King, uh, weekend, holiday weekend, you know, there was a role for Andy Young in the movement. You know, Andy Young was the guy who went and had conversations with LBJ while Martin Luther King was um, raising hell through um, certain demonstrations, so on and so forth. El, um, Andy Young was the guy that was actually kind of negotiating and having these conversations within the White House. Like everyone has a role. Um, and I think it's, it's just important to recognize that and, and let people, and and let people express themselves. Like, I don't get mad at anyone. May they, I don't even get mad essentially at, um, the corporatist that like yells like the, the corporatist version of Rob. Right. Yeah. Um, who's like, who is this corporatist? There's, there's, there's the, no one can be full of Rob. (laughs) Wait a minute. I thought I had the, I thought I had the market corner. But like, or, or. Or the the Republican, or the, excuse me, the conservative version of Rob, or you know the libertarian version of Rob. There's all these versions of of, of Rob that are that are out there. Yeah. Um. And I I appreciate the fact that they're out agitating for their issue, right? Um. And so 
But I also recognize I don't. They're they're first of all they're they're using my shtick, <laughs> and their politics and their politics are shitty. So <laughs> get, they can all they can all piss off. So I think I think that's the I think for me like uh, just recognizing um, that this is part of like a larger movement, but also how do you um, connect and how do you get things done? Um, how do you get you know there's how do you create a movement so that you're able to talk people you know talk to the agitator and some other you know the conservative agitator about how there's certain things that we're in line on you know yeah. certain things that we're definitely not but there's certain things that we are in line on he's think he's getting crapped on by our our country right now there's a lot of people that also believe they're getting crapped on by our country right now and you there's some dialogue that can happen from that um so i think uh, there's, I think there's just ways that we have to start communicating with one another, but also recognizing the fact that everyone has their role and looking at people, not just for, just because of the role that they play in their movement, but understanding like, look, how do we, how do we connect them? Because we're, we're much more, and I hate to sound so cliche, but we're much more alike, especially around like issues around, um, you know, wealth inequality, things like that. Um, that's why you see all these populist movements all around the globe. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. That's what we talk when we talk about the class struggle. Yeah, it's sort of like, and that's the thing Bernie tries to do, and a lot of people try to do. It's like most people are closer to a homeless person than yeah. they are to you know somebody who has a super PAC for billions of dollars. Absolutely. And 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 people don't sort of make that connection. But you're right. Yeah. We have more. We do have from that perspective, from like a Marxist analysis perspective, we're all. Yeah. The same. Yeah, absolutely. And if we get together, we could actually win, but all of the other things are, are you know, have to be sorted out. Absolutely. And I and I think that is it for me it all goes into like having conversations, having dialogue, having dialogue with people. We can't, you know, it's it's like when you go down the legislative hall, there's certain people that on one issue you'll be completely opposite, right? And then you realize like there's another issue, like you can actually get some good shit done. And and you you work with them on that, but I mean you've got to, but you also have to stay true to who you are and to your core. Um, I also believe that um, you know we also ha we also have to recognize you know the class aspect in this, but also like uh, for me, I've just been you know I've been so much diving into around like the wealth issue, the wealth inequality issues that we have and how like it's just been so astounding so i think that you know i find myself become like my inner rob coming out on some of those issues um um as as we've we move forward because it's just so much it's so stark um and so i'm just you know for me i'm trying to even figure out my voice you know i'm, I'm being very open and candid as 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 i move forward and as i think about what you know what could be possibly or maybe next yeah, well, speaking about what's next is it's exciting because what has been built as a foundation to jump off from, um, and this you probably don't remember uh, because it, it had an impact on me because it was the first time I was involved in like an election night mm -hmm. like thing. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we were in the ballroom at the at the at the Sharon and yeah. uh, you know and came up just a hair short two thirty four who's no, just, who's counting. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wasn't, again, I didn't want to, yeah, two, three, four. Um, and, you know, people were upset. Uh, a lot of people took it pretty tough. Yeah. Uh, I walked out into the hallway and I, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I took it tough too, yeah. but I, 
kind of walked out and you were there sort of by yourself with your notes getting ready to go up and, and, and talk. Yeah. And I said, I want you to know this and I, and I meant it. I'll tell you again today. Mm-hmm. That was the beginning. It wasn't the end of anything. It was the beginning of something because I had no one had ever seen anything like that before. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then a few months later, the general election was a disaster. Yeah, yeah. And you know, uh, I get a call from Drew. You know, we're gonna we're gonna try to put something together, sort of an organizing, you know, network. Yeah. That we might call the network. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm in for that. Yeah. And uh, so we turn up, we turn up at the the Quaker Meeting House on yeah. uh, Quaker Hill. Mm-hmm. And like hundreds of like a hundred people were there yeah like and and i just saw you stand up and say look i don't know like and everybody was you know kind of bummed out like trump had just won yeah i remember doing yeah and you're like i don't know what we're doing yet like i don't know what this is going to be but the fact is that we need to do something and i'm glad that you are here just to try to help us figure out what we're going to do yeah and now three years on it's really something. It's picking up, and and it's uh, it's interesting. You know, when we, you know, every I tell this when when we talk about Network Delaware, I think everyone has their, everyone comes in with their own view and their own perception of what Network Delaware is and what it can be. Like Drew and I, and 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 some of the others that have been a major part of Network Delaware, because it's not it's not just Drew and I. We we would not take like there's some. Amazing people! Shout out to Miss Pam Foster. Oh God! Saw her yesterday. Yes, got got love Miss Pam. Miss Pam, I go back with Miss Pam. Miss Pam was on the board of Delaware Elite. Um, oh, back in the basketball board. Yeah, she was on the board. So that's how I met Miss Pam. I was nice. met Miss Pam by Miss Linda Morris, and that's how I I, I met her. And she story about Miss Pam. So Miss Pam knew I always wanted to get in politics, and it's funny. I said to her, um, she said. Uh, she, I called her up when I knew I was going to run and I called her. I said, Hey, I need to talk to you for lunch. And she was like, what do you need to talk? I was like, I just got to talk to you, um, talk to you over lunch. So we go and we meet and I remember her saying to me, what we running for? And I said, and I had never, and the crazy part is, and I said, how did you know? She said, I knew it would come a time. And she, this is, this is how I knew it was real. This is why I love Miss Pam. She, um, the the day where we set up the time to meet she told me that um she called her she was on the board of a nonprofit another board of a nonprofit she called them up the very same day or the next day and said look i have to resign how do i go about the process because i'm going to be working on a campaign like cuz she knew i was and 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 she has been like an angel to me um my family like there's there's but but the reason why i say is there's been so many people that have been a part of the network Delaware and and building this up. And we all see different things about this and different things kind of, we all view it in different ways. Right. So, you know, I think for drew, um, drew is like, um, he is just an amazing organizer. He is an amazing, um, coach. Um, I don't think you can find a better, someone that can coach people up, um, than drew. Um, I'm just, I enjoy working with him. I talk to Drew literally every day. <laughs> and so I'm talking to this guy every day about, you know, just his thoughts on how do we coach more people up? Um, how do we get more people involved? But the reason why I bring that up is because 
you know, when we started thinking before Network Delaware, it, the act, Network Delaware actually came from the campaign conversations he and I would always have during the campaign because we'd say, we need some more organizers. We need some more people knocking doors. We need some more people, you know, doing this, who understand field, who understand metrics and so on and so forth. And there weren't anyone, there was not anyone there. And so the, for me, my, uh, let me go back to Drew, and I don't want to speak too much for Drew, but I know for one of the major things for him was the, uh, being able to take people, coach them up, to en enable to for them to run like issue campaigns and things of that nature, right? I think we have, Network Delaware has like 10 of them running right now. For me, it was about, my thing was, how do we, I recognize the fact that, and I'm very real with myself, like if I didn't work for Cory Booker, if I didn't have that experience of working with him and, and connected to him and all that kind of stuff and experience working for someone who's running like that, those type of experiences, there's no way in hell, you know, I would have been able to been as competitive as I was. And I think about it from the standpoint of there's someone, there is someone in 2000, September 13th of 2016, that if given the same opportunities that I had, if given the same resources I had, the same team I had, the same opportunities I had, if they were given those same opportunities, they would have won by a landslide. That's what I truly believe. I am not the sharpest tool. And I'm not the, you know, I'm not the best out here. I'm not, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. My wife will tell you that, right? <laughs> but like, but I, but I believe that one of the things that we have, unfortunately here is that a lot of people feel like they can't run because of, I don't have the money. All right. We can't run because I don't know what to do. I don't know how to organize people. I don't know. Like my name isn't well known and I don't have the resources and I don't know what to where I don't know how to get in the game. So my main thing is like that's And that's why I'm proud of like we have, you know, the cans training where we just train people up. So if you want to run, you run, you know, we train campaign managers. Um, you know, I think we. I think in just a democracy, we need to get more people from our community just to be able to say, look, I, I want to run. At least there's an opportunity for me to learn how to. Um, I think, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it was more of like, all right, you are going to run. And this whatever machine we have is going to back you and you're going to run, you're going to win, so on and so forth. Um, and, and that was really the only mechanism the only, by any, by, yeah, yeah. that was, that was the real mechanism for it. Unless you had, you know, I mean, you have some outliers where people would run and challenge individuals, but for the most part, it was, you know, Hey, you, you know, one of those kind of things. Yeah. And, and the challengers were either people who had a name or their, or their had a name or had their own money. And it wasn't a, a concerted effort behind a particular program. Absolutely. It was a one, like at the one off. Yeah. And, 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 that, and that's why I think like, you know, there's people right now who run, who've, who've gone to network Delaware candidate trainings, um, who we've had Republicans, we've had liberty. Make sure you tell them the wrong things. <laughs> Be like, here's what you do. Knock real loud. And I just tell them to like insult people at the doors. We've, we've had Republicans. We've had libertarians. We've had people that have come in that just want to learn how to get involved and engage. And, um, and so if they, wherever Republicans, Democrats, libertarians, wherever they choose to people who consider themselves like green party, um, like, wherever they feel as though they want to take it, like, go ahead and take it. But like, I, you know, because here's, here's the thing also, you know, I think about my past. So like when I try to get into 
when I tried to get into politics here in Delaware, like I was, here's another reason. Um, when I tried to get involved in politics when I was like 25, 26, like coming Obama era, that kind of thing, I was like, man, I want to get in. Like, you got a black guy running for president. The VP is going to be from Delaware or whatever. And, you know, and it's the camp, one of the campaign heads was um, David Pluff, a Delaware guy as well. So I'm like, you got all these connections from Delaware, like showing that like there's actually a possibility of people, you know, a guy from a state like mine can get really involved in politics. I want to get involved. Like I see these things in my community. I want to get involved. And I remember um, going out and, uh, and this is, I remember going out and reaching out to all these different candidates and campaigns at the time. And like, Hey, can I get involved? Can I intern? Can I do this? Can I get this opportunity? And I remember um, no callback, no, no follow up. Or I was, I remember knocking doors um, and thinking like, I want to get involved. I want to get engaged. And like, I, there was no opportunity The the, you want to hear the crazy part is the, the, the most real like opportunity I had, and I'm not expecting people to give me a damn thing. I'm just saying like what I was able to conjure up was like, I did calls. I made calls for Chris Coons in 2010 at the democratic party headquarters with a bunch of yeah, I, older. Just go ahead and say it. Uh, older, older women, amazing older women. It was funny. We used to call. I used to joke with one of them. We used to call them the golden, yeah. the golden girls, like because they would come in and they would make we call calls. Them stuff too. <laughs> they would, they would call, they would come in, and we yeah. would, uh, we would make calls on, um, uh, in 2010. But like that was like the only opportunity that I really had. So I was. It was at the point. Around that time in 2010, I was going to leave. I was thinking about leaving Delaware. I was applying to to different programs, um, like uh, MPA programs and things. I was I was starting that process, and I, I I was just I was just stuck because I was doing Delaware Elite. I was working at the Hotel Dupont from 10:45 at night to 7:15 in the morning. Um, I was trying to figure like all this stuff out, and there was no. I felt like there was like no opportunity here for me. That's actually one of the reasons why at the Metropolitan Women's Urban League, one of the things that we started was the James H. Gilliam Fellowship Program because we want to make sure we keep young people, 22 to 36, we want to keep them involved and engaged in what's going on and feel like they're connected. Um, I didn't feel like I was connected to anything. Here. Yeah, well, there was no, in my view, from being here mm -hmm. my whole life too, and, and there was there was no easy way to do it. Yeah. You had to, you had to, do you had to create the the, the way to do it yeah. yourself it yeah. wasn't like you know there is a there's a track yeah you know, like you said it was either like that you, you got picked out or there was a track maybe through the party that was sort of like a corporate ladder yeah. I, I see all a, a lot of uh carl's uh political science buddies going to going that track <laughs> um you know just wanting to get the photo with the with the person who's on television and then the, you know, blah 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 but that was the, that was the only if you wanted to do that, that was the, the only way to do it. Indeed. Unless unless you knew that wasn't working, and then you just created your own. Yeah, it's it's it just happened. Like, I, and I, I had amazing parents. I have amazing. I had a, a great support system around me. Friends, like I said before, Shannon Watson's like an older brother to me. He was the one that like taught me a lot of life lessons that became very helpful and important for me and moving forward. But like that that is part of like who I am, and so that's why I always have this idea like. We have to train people up. We have to get more young people that, and that's why even in the, the Gilliam Fellowship Program, we're in our third cohort right now. 
we're introducing people to how do you advocate for issues? How do you write a policy brief? How do you do these things? How do you connecting people with leaders in the state so that there's like there's no more like we demystify this idea that yes. you you can't talk to this person because they're this person or yes. you know like because I think there really needs to be like this demystification of I agree I think that's a a great way to put it it's yeah. a great word yeah. to put it because it. Uh, Carl and I and a few other folks went down to Dover this week. Yeah, we I saw that with the SEIU. Yeah, the Fight for 15 rally. Absolutely. Um, but when you see um, some of these legislators come out, it just seeing them in person definitely demystifies it. Yeah. Because oh, like, you know what I mean? Well. <laughs> <laughs> like like Carl smiling in the background. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, whatever mystique there may be is gone when you meet them. Yeah. Or, or if it isn't when you meet them, when they open their mouths and start talking, it's definitely gone. There's there's a there's some amazing legislators. There's some and it's just like put like this. It's just like us in the community. You know, yes, right. there's I tell people all the time. There's genius and stupidity lie equal abo among us. Yeah, I guess my and, issue. I, I completely agree with that. And it's, and it's any any organization, any group yeah, of people is going to be that. It's just that for in this particular and it's it's somewhat in the corporate world too. But in this particular case, there is a mystique. Uh, and they there's always that mystique yeah. of something that is way 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 uh, it's incongruous with the actual thing that you're getting yeah it's and it also goes with you know I think with down in uh, legislative hall it changed because of just the the um, like when you go down legislative hall like the marble floors the the the, the it's been here for however many years like this idea like it's the, I, I'm missing the word, but it's like the, um, uh, it's like this. There's, there's so much. Um, well, that's why they make state capitals like. Yeah, like that. I mean, that's, that's what the, I'm saying. The like, reason that they look like that indeed. is to make is to put an edifice there that is uh, sort of a little bit overwhelming. Yeah, it is overwhelming. It's, it's, it's very it's, because it, there has to be a formality. That's there has to be a formality to it to show the people that it's formal, but it's a veneer. Yeah, it's and, and 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 it can be very and you. I think you said it right. It can be extremely overwhelming, um, and intimidating. You yes, know, it can correct. be. It, it is very intimidating if you go down there the first time. Like you see people walking around all over the place, and like you're like in the middle. of What the hell's going on? But, um, and so you can you can easily be intimidated by by that by that being down there. And so I think that's why you know we created the fellowship program because we don't want people to be intimidated. We want people to understand like these people work for you, you know? They work for you. And um and it's and it's and I think that once you get that idea in your head and you're able to connect with let's say it makes it easy to talk to them and then it makes you to e it makes it easier to advocate for some of your issues so you could go down there you could talk to them about certain things they may hear you out and there's there's some really good legislators down there who are doing an amazing job um, and even the ones who may disagree with you if you as long as you come at them and you're they're like they're, like we're all human beings yeah. you come at, you you have a real conversation you be respectful they'll all listen you know for the most part they'll all listen to you and hear you out um but it's just one of those kind of things where you it, we have to demystify that and it does not just go for for uh legislate um our legislators and and those in power, the governor, senator, and all of them does it just not does not go with them. It's like the CEOs of our largest companies, the you know business leaders, other leaders, because people often feel the same way when they walk into large corporations. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, it could be extremely intimidating. And so, 
um, I think that understanding that how we're we're still connected in this and how we using this organization to demystify it and and understand the fact that in order to get shit done, you have to connect with these people. You know, I may disagree with a legislator, but I recognize the fact like if I want to get stuff done, I need your vote. You know, I need. You know, I need the governor to sign off on certain things or I need, you know, this congresswoman, Lisa Blunt, to talk about these issues or Senator Carpenter, several coups, whatever. I, I don't know. But like you've got to. But you you have to be willing to have those conversations with them and you can't be intimidated by it. I think that's the that is the worst thing to walk into the room with is being just sheer intimidated absolutely um, agree. by by your legislators. And, and I think um, I think that's one of the things that I, we try to really take out. Um, of the equation when it comes to um, the Herbal League and some of the programs that we have, the fellowship program, also the Ella Baker Black Organizers Group. Um, we want to take that. And then also that happens with some of the things that now we're Delaware. But it's all about like we're, we're connecting, being able to connect with people and, and kind of go from there. Yeah. Yeah. So last last big topic and then we'll have something fun. Okay. Um, I... Have had this conversation with a few um, sort of elected officials and people running for office. The gun issue from mm -hmm. Dover mm -hmm. it was a big topic the last session, mm -hmm. and then I had a conversation. I've had many conversations with Kobe about it mm -hmm. uh, because it's one of his top issues. He's running on it. To, yeah, he's uh, running for city council. Yeah, right. he's running for council. He's running on this issue, mm -hmm. and anyway, came up the other night about. You know, we can ban these dangerous long guns, the semi-automatic ones, mm -hmm. which they probably should be banned. Mm -hmm. But I don't actually agree that other guns, I think other guns for personal use are probably fine. Yeah. But the, the pushback you sometimes get, or one of the arguments against it is, well, you can ban these guns because you say they're dangerous, but most of the murders and most of the suicides are handguns. Hand yeah. And, I, and, and, and that's fair because that's actually true. Mm -hmm. It's just the fact that, you know, if, and I think what I said was something like, you know, if there's a, if there's a gang of 14 and 15 year olds in the neighborhood here mm -hmm. pass, passing around a nine millimeter to go menace mm -hmm. people, the problem isn't the gun. Yeah. The problem is that there's 13, and 15, 13 14 and 15 year olds that are mm -hmm. in a gang. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Like what's happening there? Absolutely. So uh, anyway, we've had these conversations. I'm very interested because I know it's touched your life. Yeah. The stuff if you've worked on. Yeah. We all live here. These are people. You know, this is absolutely uh, an issue that everybody thinks about. And I'm mm -hmm. wondering what your thoughts are about it. Um. So a couple things. You know. Um. Uh. A couple things. So I come from a family where, like, you know, my grandfather was a gun owner. Um. I purchased my first gun when I was 21 years old. 21, 22 years old. Uh, I was, um, did it the legal way, check and everything, background check and everything. Um, so that's been a while, 21, 22, something like that. But um, I think that I, I, I look at I look at it like this. I look at it a couple different ways. One is I think some of I was talking to a um, a Navy. Seal, and I was speaking to him, and we were talking, and I just asked him, "What did he think about a former um, Navy Seal?" And he said, um, "He said to me, you know, these are." Um, he said, "We shouldn't have them. We shouldn't have these kind of guns. These are meant to kill." Yeah, they're killing and he machines. Gave, and he he in in particular, he gave a line about how many bullets they let let off in like two seconds, or like some you know some crazy uh, um, some small amount of time. Um, so I, I think that there's, there should be a ban on certain guns. 
Um, I believe that we need to, I think our country, I mean, we have so many millions of guns out here. I feel like we have more guns than people in our country. That's right. I think, I, I, I believe we do. Um, I think it, it comes from a couple different things. One is we need to focus on a lot of the reasons why people feel as though there's a need to pick up a gun anyway, right? At a young age, right? Um, I can understand, you know, you, if you want it for self-protection, so on and so forth, you know, you're grown, you're legal, you want to purchase a legal gun. I, I don't have a problem with that. There's, like I said, my, my father had a, you know, had a gun, you know, and then he, um, he, uh, after a while he, he, he got rid of it just with having small children in the house. Um, but, um, I think for me, it's, it's just about how do you. How how do you I, I I think we need to talk about some of the deep seated issues because oftentimes like I had a young man in our program that once picked up a gun and, and thought that that was a way to solve a problem, but you realize that there were so many issues that led up to this young man picking up a gun that were never addressed. You know, um, the I'll give another example like a guy from that I used to play basketball with as a kid. As a as a as a kid, we were played on 12, 12 year old basketball team together. This guy um, murdered someone over something under two hundred dollars worth of like like it just it just did not make any sense and heartbreaking. But I think there were issues that we I could see as a twelve year old that this young man was you know going through that he needed help you know and so whether it was. Um, anger management, things like that. There were issues at home. So I think that there's there's so many other issues that we have to deal with. Um, so I think it comes in two ways. One is, I think we need to, there should be a ban on certain certain types of guns. B, I think we need to tighten loopholes down, you know, make it, stop making it so easy and accessible for people to use like this iron pipeline, everything going up 95, dropping off guns in D.C., Baltimore, Delaware, Cam, I mean, Wilmington, Camden, New York, so the yeah. blah, 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 blah. That's how they get to Chicago. Yeah, abso- absolutely. And um, so I think we need to have... Um, Tighter, tighter laws and, and restrictions. Um, so for make for for people to purchase guns, but I also believe that um, we we have to deal with some of the other issues. We have to deal with some of the fact that people are using these things for protection in certain neighborhoods, or you feeling like this is an is their way of being safe in certain neighborhoods and kids, you know. So how do we deal with those issues? How do we focus on some of um, the po- sheer poverty in some of these areas. Yeah, I mean, and the, I po- think, the poverty, um, the housing issues. Absolutely. He- me- mental health and other health issues. Absolutely. Um, policing doesn't help. Yeah. I, I think you, you, can't, you can't police your way out of it. No. Because and I don't think you can police your way out of. I think if Chief Tracy were in this room, I don't think he would believe that you can police your way out of uh, many of these problems. Yeah. And I think, but we, but as a community, as a, as a state, we have, and as a nation, we gotta, we must put a focus in on like some of the deep seated, deep rooted issues. Like I was just telling the group earlier when I was at, um, the Longshoreman Hall, like, you know, when we talk about, um, issues within the community, like let's be real and talk about like, Let's be real and talk about why we're at this point, right? Let's talk about like the wealth gap. Let's talk about the fact that the median white family is worth one hundred forty thousand. Once you take out the family car, the median black family is worth four thousand dollars. Once you take out the family car, so that means like your your insecurity, like your you just just the insecurity of your family is is so much 
at stake in many of these cases, right? So the insecurity of if you get pulled over or your car breaks down, how do you make it to work? If you lose your job, how that may end up making you homeless because you may not have enough money. Um, if you get pulled over and there's a, if I get pulled over when I'm out, walk out of here and they say, look, there's a, a six, seven, 260 pound black guy that allegedly beat up somebody and he had a gray sweater and some green, um, some blue jeans and some gray sneakers on. And that happens to match my description right now. Um, and they pull me in and I don't have the money to bail myself out. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for my family? Right. And so these are all things that we have to really discuss um, if we're really, and I, I think this is one of the things uh, that I push on progressives as well. I don't feel like in, in the progressive movement, I feel like there's like, we don't speak about this enough. Um, and I'm saying just, just collectively yeah. as a whole, I don't think we speak about the fact that, look, there's serious issues, um, around this racial wealth gap that we are not truly talking about. Like we're not, we're not like really diving into. Um, I think it's too. I think it's um, it's it's a huge ask for people. Like when you try to, because I've had this conversation yeah. with people before, the, the wealth gap or, yeah. or inherited wealth. You know, um, white families have more inherited Absolutely. wealth because if you look at how, uh, you know, when you were, I would be interested to hear the story, and maybe you know it, maybe you don't, mm. but when you were. Uh, great grandparents moved from South Carolina um, to here in the 20s. You know how how they get their home? Absolutely. Because like, I know my my great grandparents moved here. Uh, well, they were in Boston first from Italy, and then moved here in the 20s too, around mm -hmm. the same time, mm -hmm. 22, 23. Mm -hmm. And even just being Italian at that time, they had it was very difficult for them to buy the house they wanted. They had to go through like an intermediary mm. and do it. But I mean, in the black community, it's 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 been so much worse for so much longer. Absolutely. Absolutely, my, my. So you don't. There's nothing. There's no foundation. And then, of course, we don't address that. We just, you know, just over police it. Um, we squeeze every nickel out of austerity. It's yeah. like we don't give people the health care they need or anything like that. We just, I agree. It's I agree. Impossible. I, I, you know, when when, you know, I was uh, talking about this earlier today. Like, you know, when, um, when my great grandparents came up here, they moved over Eleventh Street Bridge. Um, you know, this is 1924 when they got, they got married in 1924. They were obviously together, you know, even before then, but my, um, I, I, it's interesting, like, and you look at how policy impacts your, your immediate, your, your family. So when, um, when FDR gets elected, um, and comes into office, uh, he gets elected in 32, um comes into office and i think he doesn't come into office till later in the year it's not like it wasn't like the it was january like april i think yeah, it, was, it was like april march april, april yeah yeah, yeah. They, it was it was later in the year and hoover was still giving him all kinds of bs but that's another story but he comes into office and he comes out with this you know this you know um this new deal they start working on these different things but when they did the social security act of 1935 it excluded two groups of people agricultural workers and uh domestics my great-grandmother was a domestic that worked in wawasset park for over 30 some years you know like unable to enroll in and you know be involved in 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 this um in this program that so many americans hopefully i will 
knock on wood, be able to <laughs> to uh, to 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 be um, uh, take part in. But like you know, you see these things and how they impact our families because you know my great grandmother. Someone it was not like she's someone I never met. I knew who my great grandmother was. You know, my she used to come to our house over on the east side. She passed away when I was like nine years old. So like I I see these things and how and you you recognize how you know wealth is is can be passed on and how in many cases wealth was not passed on and how it puts so many communities um particularly black communities by an eight ball and then it's almost like this idea that you know we're going to tackle all these issues but no one's you who's speaking specifically to the specific issues of black and some brown communities in our country but in particular black communities that have been here through this lineage you know of all this time and still are like literally, you know, being priced out of the richest country in the world. It's just, it's, it's, it's unacceptable for us as, as a country. And I think we have to begin, we have to begin dealing with this issue. And that's one of the things where for me, I think as we start trying to build a, a closer relationship between um, the black community and the progressive community, I think that's a major, major not that can be tied in helping this to yeah. kind of come together. Um, but we have to be very intentional in dealing with uh, with these issues because the policies that impacted my family were, you know, the reason why, you know, I mean, uh, the there may be some historians that, that disagree, but most historians, like you list, read like uh, um, Ira Katz Nelson, like when affirmative action was white and uh, what's his other one? Um, affirmative action was white and fear itself, fear, fear itself, something like that. But he had uh, two amazing books, um, and uh, he's a Columbia professor, a professor at the University of Columbia. But in those books, he talks about how you know whether it was through these policies of FDR, who was you know trying to do the right things, but he had to cut deals with you know Mississippi and Alabama senators, um, Democrats like um, Senator Bilbo from Mississippi, and he had to cut these deals that ended up not being able to give afford black communities the same amount of opportunity. And so we have to. I think we have to. As a as a collective body, we have to start recognizing this, and we start have to, need to start to deal with this. And that's one of the things the Urban League, even here um, in our state, one of the things that we're doing is starting trying to address some of these issues that impact the Black and Brown communities in our state through legislation, working with a lot of our legislators, you know, the leadership, both the House and the Senate and, and the Governor's office. Like, how do we start really addressing some of these issues? Um, whether it is around procurement, whether it's around like education system, you know, the, the lack of education a lot of our children are getting. So it's an ongoing process. I'm sorry for like, I feel like I was rambling on. I'm sorry. You weren't. About that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's the last fun thing. So, well, maybe two. Has, has Drew asked you, uh, he asked me last night uh, to put a, he's putting a reading list together. And he just wants mm. to, has he asked you about yes. the books to put on the reading yes, list? Yes, yes. Drew and I have been talking about books like yeah, a lot lately. Yeah, so yeah. I've, I've already been putting my list together. It's funny because you were talking about CLR James because yes. that was like one of the first or second ones on there. So I think we're going to have a duplicate. You, we may, we Black, may. Black Jacobins is, and um, for anybody listening to this, if they haven't read CLR James, it's, uh, it's a, you, you have to read it. You, ha you a, have to read it. It is, I would say this real quick. It is the, um, it is a, a real book about like leadership. Um, and, and it's history, but it also talks about like, just, you know, Toussaint Olovachor's like his, his, 
his leadership style is really important, but also learning from some of the mistakes he made, some of the great moves that he made. Um, and then also it talks about Jean-Jacques uh, Dessalines, who um, led the movement after him. So a really, really good book. And yeah. Carl would, and uh, Carl, I think, would uh, double down with what I'm about to say about the Re- Revolutions podcast. If you want to even learn more about that, the Revolutions podcast, they actually um, deep dive. Is that, isn't it Revolutions? Revolution. Revolutions podcast does a really good job. Yeah, so if you're not familiar, it's the um, in Haiti uh, was really the first and only sort of revolution that was driven by you know a slave revolt mm-hmm. uh, on the island, and they basically uh, led to you know fought for their own freedom. Indeed, it's a very inspiring story. It's important because you like you said you sort of learn what sort of revolutionary things maybe work, what sort mm-hmm. of don't, mm-hmm. um, and you know how to to go about thinking about. Um, you know, fighting for your own mm-hmm. freedom. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think there's, the, being able to tie some of these books into like what it is that you're doing. Uh, I've been, lear- I've, I think it's the best thing uh, for me. I just, you, I YouTube a lot of stuff, podcasts, books, like, you know, learn as much as you can. Yeah, and on the podcast note, um, if you go to www.patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker, yep. you can become a patron of this podcast. Absolutely. You can uh, support our work. You can get it on the ground floor of some of some other things that we're doing around community news and long-form journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, there'll be a kickoff this spring, and that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also on iTunes, so you can hit us up there. You can just you know press the subscribe. You get the, get the thing right to your, uh, right to your iTunes player. Isn't that fun? It is beautiful. Be a comrade, ladies and gentlemen. You be, be a it. comrade. Actually, uh, we do, and I, this is a shout out to our, we do have one uh, Eugene V. Debs fellow, a mm. uh, $100 a month patron who's a who's an anonymous, um, but he has helped uh, produce some shows. So if you want to get involved with that and you want to be part of it, $100 a month. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what we learned here today is, number one, you're only as strong as your closest six friends. Mm. You have to read two hours a day, and after 30, just work out, just walk as much as you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eugene, man, thanks for coming in. I um, it's, it, it's brilliant, because I really do, I mean, you're my brother, man. I, I absolutely. I, I appreciate this. I appreciate it for your time, um, you giving, sharing your time with me to have me in here. I appreciate you. I appreciate Carl. I uh, appreciate everyone that's um, listening in um, for uh, – like uh, actually listening into this with me on it, like it's even weird, like even saying yeah, yeah, that. But like you're, you're doing it. But I'm, um, but I'm, I'm really, really thankful. And and I would just say this, I, you know, we have to all, um, we got to continue working, we got to continue pushing the envelope. We, as I said before, you know, you have, you, you are speaking your truth, brother. And you know, my main thing is keep speaking your truth. Um, and we need more people to speak theirs. Um, and we have to be open to having like the tough conversations with people. And, you know, even it, whether it's me, you have to have the tough conversation with me. You have a tough conversation. Like we have to be able to have conversations because that's how we're able to help one another and get things done. And so, um, I'm, I'm, as, as I said before, I'm grateful for it and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to what is to happen in the future. Awesome. You are, are you around Monday? Because I'm going to go. Uh, work, I'm going to go celebrate the legacy of Dr. King by protesting at the police station. Ah, would you like I'm, to go do that? I'm going to. Um, mm, I'm speaking. So the West Side Grows and many other organizations they're having the cleanup slash march. Okay. On Monday, and then I think I'm speaking. Um, I'm speaking on Monday on, on Martin Luther King Day at 
after the march okay so i'm gonna be over there so be around i won't be around i'll be uh i'll be doing my my style of you know i guess um fighting yeah and always uh, be organizing uh, always be always be organizing, always be organizing. and so I'll, I'll be over there and i'm, I'm i can't wait for that the west side grows does an amazing job um and then after that i'm gonna look forward to heading down to um lake hall i'm gonna yeah, that, tis I'm, the season tis the season brother so i'm gonna go down to lake hall and uh say hello to a lot of people catch up um talk about some potential bills and find some uh allies and work together with some people in order to get things done man excellent yeah. yeah we'll have to talk too because there's a guy i've been wanting to speak to and i haven't seen him in a while I worked on your campaign west side mm. mr paul c mm. i haven't talked to that guy because that guy's a, a wealth of of community knowledge he is he's so i met him when i was this is no lie i i met him when i was almost like three four years old when i grew up on the east side i actually um uh we went to uh st michael's for like um hot minute but then we did a lot spent a lot of time at the salvation army and he was the program uh program manager over at the salvation army so i go back with he and his son uh, chris is a really good guy we literally go back some 30 something years with him he's known my family for like 30 something years he's a great dude he's he's he really is he he works hard for the community he is uh he could be he's like the uncle like you're just like oh my god sometimes you're just like oh my god but he's one of the because he's uh, again he has that um sort of organizing like a lot of organizers now do where it's just like he starts talking to you, and you're like, ah, I'm getting roped into something. Getting roped into getting something. Getting, I can feel and it. He's he's aggressive. He's he's he speaks his truth. Yeah, he he's another one. Speaks, yeah, <laughs> he, he speaks. Yeah, he's, he's a brother. He's he, a brother yeah, he will speak his truth and tell you how it feels, whether you agree with it or not. And you just you know you just listen like like I do with anyone. I, I listen, my ears open, and you know, and um, just try to just keep my mouth shut so I can really take in what they're saying. But like he's he's like one of your uncles. Like you're like, oh, here we go. But <laughs> but he's but he's he's really he's really for um he's really for helping people he's done an amazing job at west end he should be he, he's I, I know he's proud of the work he's done but he's do, he's done an amazing job yeah i went to st anthony so i remember when west oh, you went end, to st anthony's I oh did. you did go to st anthony's yeah so yeah, I, I remember when west end neighborhood house was just a little before the big expansion yeah, it was just yeah. was that one building yeah now it's like the whole block it's the whole block he's he's done amazing he's done an amazing job with that there's there's some people that like have really paul um Ray Jones Avery, Ray Jones Avery, who's run the Christina Cultural Arts Center for so many years. And she has been she's another one at the forefront of a lot of issues. And she's another one that speaks her truth. She's very unapologetic. She speaks straight from her heart. She will tell you how she she will tell you how she feels ASAP. Like she yeah, does not. We had we had Michael Kalmbach in here. He's another one. Yeah, he's, like he's, he, he he has a lot to say with, about her because they've worked together. Oh my bit. god! Like I, I t- you know, there's you know, uh, there's a, a line. Um, Saran Kate and I would say that um, outside of our wives um, and our daughters, there's no one that we and obviously our mothers. But outside of like our family like that, there's no one that we, um, no other woman that we are scared of disappointing other than her. Like, it's just like, you know, it's like one of those kind of things. She's, and, and there's just, there's just so many community people. There's so many leaders, like, and whether they're in office or whatever, that, that some, there's some really good ones that do an amazing job. And we're, we're deeply appreciative. My board chair, Patty Gilliam, there's so many people that just do an amazing job and we're just thankful for them. And um, I'm just appreciative, man. 
Well, thanks again for coming in. We did it, folks. One year, uh, one year down. Uh, we're not going to stop. Uh, we're going to keep watching everything that's going on in the Highlands, and we're going to keep tabs on all of our enemies. Mm. <laughs> um, I'm going to do the stuff that I do. Eugene's going to do the stuff that he does. Carl's going to do the stuff that he does, and we're Absolutely. all going to speak our own truth. And remember, as as Cornell West would tell you, we're doing it because we love you. Yeah. We love all you guys. It's not. It's actually not a joke. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I'm. Uh, you know, I can be belligerent, um, but I'm as I'm we all can trying to wake people up. Yeah, you know, as we um, as we all as can. we all can. But yeah. um, thanks, everybody. Hold on, time out. What, Carl? Do you have anything that you want to like share? This is like a year, man. Like. Oh yeah, I guess maybe we'll so see. Here's we 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 were gonna do, and we're still actually going to do it. Margaret and Carl are going. We're gonna do a special episode too. Uh, it's sort of the thing. But yeah, I wonder if, if if Carl would like to make a make some make a comment on our year anniversary. Yeah, this is your year anniversary, Carl. Give me something. Been pretty good. Excited for it going forward. There you go. So, you can't so, <laughs> you can't beat that. Just remember, this wouldn't sound as good, or it wouldn't even be on the internet, and sometimes it wouldn't even record. <laughs> Unless Carl were here. So, all right. We're going to go hang out. Uh, Left is best, everybody. Cheers. Peace. Toussaint Lotuver. Toussaint Lotuver.